Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three of our talk on protocol optimization in CT, what you need to know. Now, I left off with this slide last time, and I wanted to go into it in more detail. This article by Lamoureux was very good. It made the point, should you give IV contrast routinely in the ER setting? I know you don't need it for stone protocols, but abdominal pain, you often see clinicians now, no oral, no IV. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Well, this article made the point that you miss many things and you end up doing repeat studies. And the conclusion was, the results of this study advance our understanding of how administration of IV contrast for CT of the abdomen and pelvis influenced the detection of urgent and non-urgent clinically important pathology in the acute setting. To reduce potentially medically unnecessary redundant imaging within a short period of time, this information may be useful for optimization of CT protocols. The bottom line is use IV contrast. Why do the study twice? Why miss something? You can miss polynephritis. You could miss parenchymal liver disease and possible infection. You can miss early pancreatitis. You can miss thrombus in vessels. You can miss an infinite number of things. IV contrast, as we've just discussed, is safe. Creatinine levels, 1819 are no problem. GFR is above 30, no problem. Why make things into a problem? If you're doing CT, take advantage of the quality and the information CT can offer. Okay, going back to protocols specifically. We mentioned before that you need to do more than axial imaging. MPR, we routinely generate, many of you do, at the console with the technologist, so it saves time for the radiologist, so it gets done. 3D imaging is very valuable. It's still a small percent of people use 3D. Forget arguing MIP versus VRT versus cinematic. People do nothing. Okay, I think interactive rendering is critical. The workstations have never been designed to do this well, so that's still a problem. Hopefully in the future, it will get better done. As we've always said, information available from a CTA, for example, or a CT, is far more than the information only available in the axial slices. The reason we got thin sections is to get volumes, and the reason we get volumes is for volume visualization. You see many more things in the volume. The most recent jump forward is cinematic rendering, this article by Crowe's looking, and he's not a, a medical imager, but he thought that perhaps medical would benefit from new graphics cards. So instead of just doing the Pixar model of a single lighting source, you have infinite lighting sources. And as Philippe Soyer says, this is virtuality coming true. Cinematic rendering needs isotropic voxels from volumetric CT data. Basically, cinematic rendering is similar to volume rendering, but utilizes a more complex global lighting model. The global lighting model produces high degrees of surface detail and shadowing effects that generate depth in the 3D visualizations and give a photorealistic quality to the images. Preliminary work show that cinematic rendering produces photorealistic images with enhanced detail by comparison with other 3D visualization techniques. And just to share an example, this patient has tracheal stenosis. You see the vessels, nothing really spectacular on the data sets, but look at the cinematic rendering. Look at the details of the muscles, of the nodes, of the submandibular glands, of the vessels. We can change the lighting models and the color models to accentuate soft tissue or vessels or bone. 
In this case, look at the detail of the chest wall musculature with the cardiac leads, and then I hide the muscle, and I'm showing you the ribs and the heart. And then we cut through and look at the patient's ascending aorta, and look at the coronary artery fistula sitting on the pulmonary artery. It was a fistula from the coronary to the pulmonary artery. Look at the intricacies of those small vessels and how well you see them. You also can see how I can change the lighting model. Look at the detail of these images. Look how sharp and well-defined the relationship of pulmonary artery to the aorta is, or the patient's coronary fistula to the pulmonary artery and aorta. You can see there are many things you can do. Here's a patient who was a patient who was being screened for coronary disease. You see an opaque density just beneath the patient's right coronary artery, and that's a broken needle. This patient was an IV drug abuser. Now you look at a cinematic rendering. I'm now looking in the patient's right chamber. You see the broken needle sitting there? Look also at the detail of the lung. Look at the different chambers. Look how we can isolate everything. And if you think about the protocols that we use for doing this information, the lookup tables, now I'm doing a patient who has a tavern place, upper and lower images, upper classic volume rendering. The bottom is the um, volume rendering with cinematic with the black blood. So I'm looking inside and there's the uh, patient's tavern very nicely shown. And here it is again. Look how we can detail, again, showing you some of the contrast within the aorta, the positioning of the TAVR, and the kind of detail we get. So one of the things the cinematic rendering does, it allows us to look inside the chambers of the heart with what we call the black blood technique. Now we're going to speak about that more on some of our newest talks in cinematic rendering, but just to show you the type of information you can get. Dual energy is something that's been around for a while, typically not used all that much because only on the high-end scanners, but it's getting down to lower scanners, and people are using it more. With dual energy, what you're trying to do is, because of the dual energy, the K-edge refers to the spike in attenuation that occurs at energy levels just greater than that of the K-shell binding because of the increased photoelectric absorption at these levels. What this means is that different elements have different energies. And so you could separate things like contrast from bone and contrast from calcification. And using calcium and iodine because of their K-edge difference, which is because of their atomic number, we can separate things. You can do dual energy Siemens style with two X-ray tubes or GE style with a single X-ray tube. The thing about it is we also now are able to do higher separations, 80 and up to 150. Iodated contrast shows an approximately 80% increase in attenuation at 80 compared to 140 kVp. So you can do CTAs with less contrast and still get good vessel opacification. You potentially could do lower radiation dose with dual energy. Less IV contrast is needed and potentially less artifact. But also you can create all sorts of things. I can speak about virtual non-contrast scans in the kidney. My favorite thing for dual energy is automated bone removal. Even in the most difficult cases, particularly head and neck, but also runoffs when patients have extensive vascular calcification where typical techniques are difficult, dual energy works very nicely. And here you can see the bone removal and the diseased SFA and uh, patient's popliteal arteries and trifurcation vessels. Here's an example of a occlusion of the left iliac artery. 
very nicely shown there. Again, the bone removal speeds up the process. The technologist could do the bone removal for you and then you simply go into the data set and can analyze the images very nicely. There we go from uh, MIP to volume rendering. And here's the volume rendering and MIP side by side showing you the acute occlusion of that patient's superficial femoral artery. Now, we wrote an article about this looking at lower extremity trauma and the importance of dual energy technique. Here's a nice example of an AV fistula. Again, the bone is gone. You also can do really good studies with dual energy even when there's metal in place. You can get around metal artifact. And just to show you how you can put it all together, this was an IV drug abuser with a large mass in the groin. It was thought to be an abscess, but someone said maybe it's a pseudoaneurysm. You can see it's a good thing they gave contrast because there's a large pseudoaneurysm, which you see very nicely in the volume rendering. And then you take away the bone and now you have the MIP imaging on the left and the volume rendering on the right, showing you that large pseudoaneurysm. And now I do the same data sets with cinematic rendering. Look at the induration, the soft tissues, the mass in the groin, the relationship with the skin and muscle taken away on the right, showing you just the pseudoaneurysm. And then when I wrote to date the data set with cinematic, and I put the skin back, you can see the pseudoaneurysm pushing on the skin. You can see the narrowing of the patient's femoral artery and superficial femoral artery due to the compression by the pseudoaneurysm. Again, 1,000, 2,000 images shown in one or two images, which gives you all the information. Here I then go a step further, take away the bone, and now you see this large pseudoaneurysm, which was resected, getting ready to rupture. Now you want to be very careful. We've always made the point that the most accurate images in truth are the axial and source images. And when you do 3D reconstructions at times with calcification, with foreign matter in place like hardware, you can drop information and misread. Here's a good example of an error caused by the data sets uh, editing. You look at this patient, extensive atherosclerotic disease in the aorta. And then you see the stents in the patient's commonalic arteries. And you can see here on the image, I'm showing you the stent in the right commonaliacus patent. And you see it very nicely. There's no doubt about it. Now on the left, you really can't tell because these images, I went through a plane straight down the common iliac on the right. But then we do the volume rendering. So here I'm showing you the stents in the common iliacs. I'm showing you beyond the stent, the vessels are patent, but with the classical volume rendering, you really can't tell anything about whether that stent is patent or not. There you go to MIP, and you go to the volume rendering again. You still can't really tell me, are those stents patent? I think maybe they are because you have flow beyond the stent, but you're not showing me the flow inside the stent, right? You really can't see it. And then here I go to MIP, and look what happens on the MIP. It looks like the patient's right common iliac artery is occluded. The left looks patent, but the right is not. So did I miss something? Is this correct? Should I call up the doctor and say right common iliac artery is occluded? The stent is occluded. Well, you see what happens is at times when there's a stent present, it can confuse the computer. Here I've done some cinematic rendering and I'm showing you the stents and I'm showing you the flow of contrast in the stent. You can see on both images the contrast is really there when I bring it out. But it's very easy to make a mistake. So indeed you want to be very, very careful. 
Again, there are all sorts of challenges. This article, another article by Fritz, where we looked at the upper extremity trauma. We talked about some of the challenges, but also how valuable CTA is. But again, dual energy works very nicely. I mentioned in the head, head and neck region, it's particularly good. It was always hard to remove the base of the skull. Here, very nicely, the uh, dual energy does a really good job. You see the carotids and circle of Willis. And so for head and neck imaging, dual energy is mandatory. Carotid imaging, dual energy is mandatory. Now, a couple other things in terms of protocols. One thing I can ask you, do you use templates for reporting? Now, I'm not a big template fan. Some people love it, particularly a lot of the junior people. But sometimes the reports with templates are so long, you really don't know what the study is even saying. It's so many lines. And sometimes people just even call things normal when it's not because they get so used to the template driving the thing. Referring physicians, what they prefer is the correct report. They want the information they need, not a long story. Now, we do have some things with templates, like for billing, you know, the patient was done with IV contrast or done with oral. That's all great. To me, in terms of the report itself beyond that, I like to be able to talk about what I'm seeing. And since I have reasonable experience, for example, in pancreas, I know what the surgeons want to know, and I'll make sure I cover each and every point. Now, in this article talking about templates, this was done to be able to have a template where multiple sites can read pancreatic cancer studies, and they'd be able to do trials and read the studies similarly at all places. But what happened was when we started getting together about doing the templates, you realize that unless the protocols were the same everywhere, the templates were meaningless. And so what became clear was if you want to do templates, you got to do protocols. And so it's very important for us to remember Standard imaging reporting templates should improve decision-making, but accurate reporting of disease will also need to have the right protocols. So again, putting everything together becomes important. These factors limit the ability to generate high-quality reformatted images and three-dimensional images that are necessary for accurate staging. That is, if you don't do dual-phase imaging, if you don't do thin sections, you can't do what's necessary to do the right staging and give the right information. So again, when I talk about protocols, the protocols drive everything. It drives your ability to be able to report correctly on templates. It is critical if you wanna do multi-center or even one-center trials. It's therefore, and this article even made the point that if someone did not get thin section CT, it should be redone so they can get 3D mapping for preoperative planning. And so in that article, where the key was to talk about designing templates, we spoke about protocols. Here's how we acquire the data. Here's how we read the data, arterial or venous. Here's how we look at extra pancreatic involvement. So again, it becomes very, very clear that protocols really drive everything. Now, another thing coming along, and it's gonna change everything, and I think for the better, will be the role of AI. And AI is gonna help us with protocol design, it's gonna help us optimize protocol, help us gather information, and I believe help us read the scans. The decision of what imaging test is most appropriate will be influenced by many factors, many of which are subjective. Over and under utilization is something that every clinician struggles with. Perhaps AI, in this article by Mulek, can really improve that. So we're gonna see AI in a big way. Now, I mentioned about checklists. Some people like checklists, some people don't. 
I think in a sense we all have checklists in our mind what we look at. Some people like it more formally. I think it's really up to what you want to do. We've done checklists. We did one on pancreatic mass. We did one on adrenal. And it's something you can get in the Apple Store for free. But you can see we go through different things on the, uh, for example, is there a mass present? If yes, how do you describe the mass? Solid cystic, solid cystic, solid and necrotic. You pick where it goes and then it leads you to different diagnoses. So we do have checklists because checklists can be very valuable, especially for more junior people. Again, the last thing to mention, I mentioned a moment ago, the importance potentially of AI. But AI in how we read the studies is going to be very critical. We spent the last four years developing AI for detection of pancreatic cancer. We were able to create the computer's ability to do segmentation the same quality as a one of us could do. You can see here in this is segmentation of the pancreas. The prediction is the computer. The annotation is us. And we did all sorts of things from looking at duct structure to looking at the various organs around the pancreas, all things to help us define the presence of pancreatic pathology and specifically what type of pancreatic pathology we're dealing with. We taught the computer to think very much like we think, which is how you need to do AI. And when we looked at things, we're able to solve problems that we couldn't solve. Distinguishing autoimmune pancreatitis for pancreatic cancer with over 90% accuracy far better than we could uh, at the radiologist level. So there are many things we can do better. Radiomics differentiates autoimmune pancreatitis from cancer, 89% sensitivity, 100% specificity. This was far better than the radiologist. But you also saw with radiomics, you needed thin size CT, the thick slices weren't as good. The timing was critical, venous phase, was better than arterial phase. For neuroendocrine tumors, arterial is better than venous. But the point is that unless you do the study correctly, you're not gonna be able to have the information to let AI help you. So we've covered a lot of different things. We've covered from the most basics of giving oral contrast to the cutting edge of doing AI. I think Don Henley, who's one of my favorites in the heart of the matter said it best, the more I know, the less I understand. All the things I thought I figured out, I have to learn again. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but everything changes. And I think that's true in radiology. That, in fact, is exciting. In CT, the changes are going to keep coming. We're going to have to adjust. But I think for our patients, things will get better and better. And there's never been a more exciting time to do CT. But again, pay attention to the protocols. And with that, I'll thank you for your attention and see you next time. Bye-bye. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctisus.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.